As we begin our time this morning, would you bow with me for a word of prayer? Heavenly Father, once again, we bow before you knowing that we are fully dependent upon you for everything. We understand your word is truth. That we are sanctified by your word. So Lord, help us as we study this morning, as we hear from you, as we open your word, that we would be sanctified in a greater way, that we would know you in a deeper way, that we would understand who you are and what you have accomplished on our behalf who know Jesus Christ, and that from that we would live differently. Lord, use these words this morning. Open our hearts and our minds and impact us by your words, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I'll ask you to take your Bibles with me and open them once again to our study of Romans. We are in Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. And I want to begin our time this morning by reading for us Verses 1 to 11. I believe last time when we began, I read verses 1 to 5. I want to continue down and read all the way through verse 11 because in reality, this section doesn't end until there. And in the ultimate reality, it doesn't end until chapter 8. Paul says this, Therefore, having been justified by faith, We have peace with God in our Lord Jesus Christ, in whom also we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we exult in hope of the glory of God. And not only this, but we also exult in our tribulations, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance, and perseverance proven character, and proven character hope. And hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. For while we were still helpless, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for a good man someone would dare even to die. But God demonstrates His own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners... Christ died for us. Much more then, having now been justified by His blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God in Him. For if, while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of His Son, much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. And not only this, but we also exult in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. I'm sure that if I sent out a survey amongst those here in this church, we would certainly say, at least for the Christian, that this section of Scripture, that portion that I just read, is one of the most glorious sections in the entire Bible. Why, someone might ask, because the main drive behind all that Paul says to the Christian, 
by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, as he is carried along to pen these very words, is this. If you believe in Jesus Christ for your justification before God the Father, if you have faith in Jesus Christ for your salvation, thereby within that the idea of being declared innocent before God because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, then you can stop contemplating whether you could ever lose your salvation. You can stop contemplating that altogether because that is impossible if you are justified. Now, there's no better news than that, is there? There's no better news in the entire world, in our entire humanity. I don't care what the newspapers write. I don't care what the news feed comes along. I don't care what the world ever says in history's time. The best news of all is that I am secure before a holy God. It is good news to know that your sins are forgiven in Christ. It is good news to know that the wrath of God has been appeased. It has been satisfied in the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. It is phenomenally good news to know that Jesus Christ rose from the dead because His sacrifice was completely sufficient for my sin. All of those things are good news. And yet the cherry on top of that theological cake is that you can never lose your salvation. This is the ultimate point that the Holy Spirit, through the words of the Apostle Paul, is desiring to drive home in our minds and thereby through that, live that out in our lives or live in light of that in our lives. We are, as Christians, secure in our salvation. Now, you do not read the word security in the text. Verses 1 to 11 don't mention the word security at all, but we, what we do read, clearly shows an absolute security in justification because the declaration made by God that if we believe in His Son, Jesus Christ, for our rescuing from the penalty and the power of sin, then we are now and we are forever innocent in His sight. That is the implication. If God has declared you justified in His sight, that cannot ever change. That is great news, is it not? Here's how Paul begins to comfort our hearts with this reality. He says in verse 1, Therefore, having been justified by faith, We have peace with God. Now, I hope we hear what he is saying, not just hear my voice saying it. I hope our heart resonates with that. If you are justified, if you have been declared innocent before the judge of all creation, 
then you are secure in that declaration forever. You have peace with God. And Paul says, I'll show you why. And he begins to give the results of the positive consequences of this reality of being justified. Having been declared innocent before God by faith in Jesus Christ, here are the consequences of that which prove the reality of your absolute security in the presence of God. That's what we began to look at last Lord's Day. We also began to think about the practical implications of that. What do those things mean? It's nice to know those things intellectually, and we ought to have some kind of intellectual reality in all of those things, but what do they do in my life? They ought to do something. They ought to be producing something in my life. So we began to look at these things, and Paul says, first of all, the first positive consequence was that our condition was changed before God. We had a change of condition. We have peace with God. Having been justified by faith, here's the change. We've been changed from having His wrath abide on us, as Romans chapter 1 says. We have been delivered from the domain of darkness, as it says in Colossians, and we have been delivered into the kingdom of His dear Son. We have been delivered into this sphere of peace with God in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now some of your Bibles might say through our Lord Jesus Christ there at verse 1. Prepositions are very important in the Scriptures. When you study the Bible, we look for verbs. We look for the action words. We look for the have been justified. We have peace with God. We look for those things, and those things are absolutely important. But don't ever overlook the prepositions. Because prepositions are so, so important. Because the implication here, if your Bible says through, which the New American Standard says through, and that's the scriptures I have, but you may have noticed when I was reading that, I didn't read the word through there because I don't think that's the best translation. That preposition, I believe, needs to be in Jesus Christ. Why do I say that? Because through gives us the idea, at least here in the 21st century, it gives us this idea that that we are saved by Jesus Christ, and Jesus Christ is over here, and through Him comes these benefits. Jesus Christ is here, and over here are these benefits, and if we go through Jesus Christ, we can get all of these benefits. And yet the reality is that the benefits are in Jesus Christ. You cannot separate the reality of the positive consequences of our salvation in being justified from Jesus Christ. They are in Jesus Christ. We are not receiving benefits over here because of a relationship we have with Jesus Christ. No, no. Those benefits are in Jesus Christ. We are in Jesus Christ. That's why it's so important here. This is a monumental reality. A unity. We have a unity with Christ. That's the idea. An actual unity with Jesus Christ. When, Jesus, when, when God sees us, when He looks at us, He's seeing Jesus Christ. He's seeing the righteousness of Christ. All the benefits that we have are in Christ. 
That's why I read Ephesians chapter 1 this morning, because it's so full of this reality, this idea of our unity with Jesus Christ, not the reality of Jesus Christ is here and we have all these benefits over here laying out for us. No, it's all in Jesus Christ. You cannot separate those. There is a unity with Christ. That is the idea. It is inseparable, and that is a monumental reality for us and something that we must realize if we are going to live in obedience to God for the right reasons. If we are going to live in obedience to God and that God says, if you love me, you'll obey me. So this is the outworking of that love relationship with God. We love the Lord our God with our whole heart, mind, and strength. We love our neighbor and ourselves. If that love is the reaction or the outworking of a relationship with God, of being in Christ, it's so important that we understand all of that. We have to realize that before peace with God, we are at a continual condition of war with God. But Paul says, having been justified, we have peace with God. That means that before we ever were at peace with God. We were at war with God. We were, before faith in Christ, we were an enemy of God. He was at war with us. Certainly, you may not have thought of it like that way. Certainly, you may have gone through life thinking that God was some figure out here in the mystical nature of life, and you were just carrying on, and if you did good things, the cosmic killjoy wouldn't snap upon you and just totally destroy you. And yet, the fact of the matter was that all of us, without Jesus Christ, God is at war with us, and His wrath is ever upon us. And every day... And we rejected Him every day. We rejected to obey Him every day. We rejected to follow His Son. Every day we rejected to believe upon His Son. We were storing up wrath for the day of wrath. That was our condition before Him. No peace. Here's how Isaiah the prophet put it back in Isaiah 57 verse 14. And he's quoting God. God puts this word on the prophet Isaiah's mouth so that he would tell Israel these things. He says, build up, build up, prepare the way, remove every obstacle out of the way of my people. For thus says the high and exalted one who lives forever. That's an interesting definition for God himself. This is what he says, whose name is holy. I dwell on a high and holy place. And I also, and also with a contrite and lowly of spirit, in order to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. For I will not contend forever, nor will I always be angry, for the spirit would grow faint before me and the breath of those whom I have made. Because of the iniquity of his unjust gain, I was angry and I struck him. I hid my face and was angry and went on turning away in the way of his heart. Or he went, away, he went on turning away in the way of his heart. I have seen his ways, but I will heal him. I will lead him and restore comfort to him and to his mourners, creating the praise of the lips. Peace, peace to him who is far off and to him who is near, says the Lord. And I will heal him. But. 
The wicked are like the tossing sea, for it cannot be quiet. Its waters toss up refuse and mud. There is no peace, says God, for the wicked. That was us. No peace ever. Our condition before God, before He drew us to Himself, was a condition of no peace. No peace with God, no peace in life. In fact, we must understand our condition of no peace with God before we will ever come to the place of believing upon Jesus Christ for salvation. I had the opportunity just this week to share the gospel with a man who was in the condition of no peace. And yet, he believed he was at peace with God. I asked him if he was a sinner, to which he replied, no, no, I'm not a sinner. I said, so... Do you know the Bible tells us that if we say we are without sin, we make God a liar? I said, did you know that? He said, no, nah, but God, I, I don't know that I really, really fully embrace all of that about God. I said, have you ever lied? He said, no, no, nope, I've never lied. He was an older gentleman, probably in his 60s, maybe even early 70s. I said, wait a minute. I said, I'm having a little trouble here. I said, you mean to tell me that in your entire life from childhood up to this point, you have never told a single lie in your entire life? He said, absolutely not. I don't have time for lying. All I do is tell the truth. I said, well, the Bible tells us that all have sinned, and yet you told me you have not sinned. I said, do you believe that God can lie? He said, no. I said, well, if God says all can all have sinned and you say you have not sinned, then you just told a lie. What he was trying to do is evade the reality of his war with God. What I was trying to do was to get him to realize that his condition before God was one of no peace with God, regardless of what he had tried to convince himself of. He was an enemy of God under the wrath of God. You see, he needed to know what every man, woman, child who is breathing the gracious breath of God in their human bodies need to know. He needed to come to understand his present condition before a holy and just God who created him. If his condition is that he continues to believe that he is good enough in his sinful condition, he has no hope. So I prayed with him, prayed for him. Trusting that God might have mercy upon his soul. Grant him belief in Jesus Christ. 
For there is no peace for the wicked, Isaiah 57 says. But for us, we have been justified by faith. We have peace with God, and it is permanent. It can never be lost. And that objective peace with God ought to give us who believe personal and settled peace in our hearts concerning our eternal security. If you have been justified, then you are at peace with God forever. So that is result number one. And of course, that's just review from last week. We have a new condition, Paul said. We are at peace with God. There's a second positive result, though, that he gives us here in this text. We have a new condition, but secondly, we have a new position. Because we have been justified by faith, we have a new position. What is it? Look at verse 2. In whom also we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand. Now, I have to bring up something here that you possibly have heard before. You have possibly heard someone say that we as Christians, or maybe even heard somebody teach this, that we as Christians can actually fall from grace and thereby lose our salvation. In other words, the eternal security that that I am proclaiming today from the Scriptures is certainly not true. We can fall from grace. And the eternal security of salvation has been challenged throughout the history of evangelicalism. Still goes on today, much sadly to the demise of many. Sadly, even discouraging some immature true believers so that they walk around with their heads low. They walk around in this dejected state as if God is standing ready to to pull the salvation carpet out from under their feet at the moment they do anything wrong. The debate actually ought to be settled right here and right now when we understand the permanent new position that Christians have by faith in Jesus Christ. He says that because we have been justified by faith, we have a new position, and that position is that we now and forever stand in grace. Do you see that? We have this position by which came to us in Jesus Christ as we believed upon Jesus Christ and were justified innocent before a holy God that in Jesus Christ we have obtained an introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand. In other words, it isn't something you can get over time through keeping some kind of sacramental regime It is not something that you get one day and lose another day arbitrarily. Paul says that because of justification, we stand in grace. We stand there. 
In other words, if justification is permanent, and justification must be permanent because it is a declaration of God, and God cannot lie, and God cannot change, He is immutable, and if He changes anything, then everything falls apart because His immutability is in question. If God's justification is satisfied forever and ever because of His Son who sacrificed Himself for our sin, and the Resting in Him by faith, we, we who rest in Him by faith, that's what faith really means, an entrustment in Jesus Christ. We have entrusted ourselves to what God has said concerning His Son. God the Father has declared that you are no longer guilty, that the penalty of your sin has been taken care of. You are now and forever righteous in His sight in Jesus Christ. Then, included in that justification is the permanent reality of being in the sphere of grace. That's what he's saying. In other words, we have it in Christ. Why? Because we are in Him. We are justified in Him by faith. And because we are justified in Him by faith, we are in grace. Paul is emphasizing for us is something that has happened to us once and for all. There was a time when we did not have it, and in Christ now we do have it. That's the point. Now, the significance and the importance of that should be obvious to us as believers. It ought to remind all of us who are believers that justification And all that comes with justification is not a process. Justification is not a process. It is a one-time declaration by a holy God concerning sinners who believe upon His Son, and all that's included in that comes with it. It is not something that happens over time like all other religions would like us to believe. Christianity says, believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. True Christianity says that when you believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ, your salvation is permanent. Mark that down, write it in stone, put it in your mind. Do not ever let anyone take you astray in that when true Christianity, this is what The Bible declares, this is the truth of Scripture, when God says He saves you, He saves you permanently. But all other religions come along and say, if you do enough good things, then in enough time, you can hopefully be declared innocent before God. Many of you know, because you were saved out of this, one of the most worst and most prevalent violators of this is the cult of the Catholic Church. They teach heretically that grace is infused to you through seven different sacraments. And that those sacraments must be mediated by the church 
through tacit attachment to Jesus Christ, who is only doing what her, his mother does, Mary, who is the co-redemptrix of all who would ever be saved, finally taking those things to God. And if you fall short in any of those in any way, then hopefully and by some gracious purpose, while you're spending time in the outer realms, what they call purgatory, which is not a biblical term at all, then people can pay the church and they can pray you out of purgatory. So, not only do you not have grace when you believe, but you also cannot ever be sure of your innocence before God. How convenient. How convenient for the church. Why do they teach that? Because it keeps people in bondage. It keeps people in bondage, not to God. It keeps people in bondage to their sin and thereby to the church. The money keeps coming in. and The people keep coming in for more infusions of grace. All with the vanishing hope that one day, maybe, one day they will have access to God and tragically... It's a damning lie. System of the devil and not of Christ. It is works religion just like all the others. In fact, I was shared an article this week about a young boy who went to the Pope to ask him if his father was going to be in heaven. His father was an atheist. He went to the Pope and asked him because his father had died. Will, I, will my father be in heaven? To which the Pope said, Well, he had all of his children baptized. Surely, even though he didn't believe in God, a good man would only have his children baptized. He was a good man. That proved he was a good man. And then he asked the rest of the children, Would God deny someone that good? To which, of course, they said, Absolutely not. And he said, Son, I would agree. an atheist. One day, the Pope and that atheist will be together. The Bible clearly declares that through faith in Jesus Christ, we have obtained our introduction. Some of your translations may say access. I like that term. Access. When I and Some of the elders went to the conference last week. There were volunteers there working, a whole host of volunteers, thousands of them. They all had badges that would allow them access to certain places. But there were some who had a badge that said all access. It was an all access pass. In other words, they could go anywhere, no restrictions at all. I liked that. That's what Paul is trying to get us to understand about our justification by faith or in by faith in Jesus Christ that's what Paul's trying to help us understand we have been enveloped in the all access pass inside and that pass is a new position what is it we stand in grace in other words we were outside grace before and now we are inside of grace Let's make sure that we get this right in our minds. 
in the Lord Jesus Christ, we have had access opened to us. In the Lord Jesus Christ, by faith in Jesus Christ, God declares us righteous, declares us innocent before us forever, and in that we have access, we have obtained our introduction, and by the way, we still have it into this grace in which we now stand and will forever stand. So think of it like this. You have a desire to go see the Queen of England. For that to happen, there has to be certain procedures that have to take place, or you will never see the Queen. In other words, there is a way to have access to the Queen, and one of those ways to have access to the Queen is you can have an introduction. Someone who has access can take you and give you an introduction to the queen. They can give you access. That's what Paul is trying to say here. There was a time when we were in sin. There was a time before faith in Jesus Christ when we were in sin, we were guilty, and we had no right of entry into the presence of God. None whatsoever. We had no access. We had no introduction. We could not come into His presence in our present condition. But now something has changed. Now, as a result of justification by faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, We have our introduction. We have our all-access pass into this grace in which we stand. Jesus Christ has introduced us. He brought us to God. We couldn't get there before. It's only in Jesus Christ. Without Christ, we cannot go to God as we are. We are sinful. We are polluted. We are outside of grace. Even the good things we may have done are are only filthy rags in His sight. We have no right to enter into His throne room. We have no right to enter into His presence. There is nothing about us that commends us into His holy presence. Nothing. But then God's Son comes along. He has full access. He has every right to be in the presence of His Father. And He takes us by the hand and He introduces us. And He says, Father, this one is okay. This one is okay. Why? He's wrapped in my righteousness. I have given Him my full access. I have taken care of His debt and what He owes you. See Him as you see me. We stand in grace, it says. We stand in that grace. And so in Jesus Christ, not only has our position changed, not only are we at peace with God, 
But also, now he looks upon us with grace. He looks upon us with favor instead of contempt. The Bible tells us in Psalm 711 that God has indignation with the righteous just when he feels like it. No, no. When they do some bad thing, no, no, no. God has indignation. Indignation is wrath. God is is anger. God has a righteous anger with the unrighteous every day. Every day. And I might say, all day. His wrath abides upon the unrighteous. But that's not how He deals with us every day and all day. Now He looks upon us as His own with favor. Now that's, that's great. I mean, now we're at peace with God. Now I'm in this realm and sphere of grace. This is one of the greatest things about being a true Christian. Our whole relationship with God is different. Some of us walk around as if it's not different at all, that somehow we bought a fire insurance policy and we'll stick that in our safe till later, but don't worry about it. I'll just go try and live as best I can. Listen. You are at peace with God, and you are in a sphere of grace. That ought to change how you think. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones said it this way, quote, It's like the case of a man who has spent his whole life out on the street outside the great palace. Inside the palace, there are endless riches and wealth, and a great banquet is being given. He sees people enjoying themselves. He is outside shivering in the street. He cannot partake of the banquet. He has no right of entry. He has not any fit of entry. Suddenly, in a miraculous and marvelous way, he is approached. He is invited to enter. He is provided with a festal garment. He is brought in. He is introduced and he takes his place and he begins to partake of the feast of the riches of God's grace. This is what the Apostle Paul is telling us here. We are standing in grace. No longer criminals, no longer in front of a judge deserving full and lasting eternal punishment. Now, God is our Father. Now, He wants us to run to Him, whereby before we wanted nothing to do with Him. We couldn't get away from Him quick enough. Even the psalmist says, where could I go that I could hide from you? We wanted to hide, but we could not. Now God wants us to run to Him. In fact, He desires to shower us with all the blessings He has given us in His Son. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 to 14. We deserve nothing. We deserve punishment at the hand of His righteousness. For we all have sinned. We all have fallen short of His glory, Paul has told us in Romans chapter 3. All of us are unrighteous. All of us have rebelled against Him. 
And therefore, all the blessings that we have been given, all that we will ever receive is all of grace. It's in grace that we stand. It's all undeserved. It's all undeserved. You don't deserve your position. You don't deserve your condition. It's all undeserved. We stand in the undeserved favor of God shown to us who do not deserve any favor at all. You see why I said this is a new position? This is an entirely new place. We have a new position. We were those who legally deserved the severest of punishment at the hand of a holy God, but instead of punishing us, God has forgiven us in Christ. He has blessed us, as Ephesians 1 says, with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. He has showered upon us lavishly His favor. Listen, folks, it's all of grace. We stand in grace. Now that understanding ought to change our living. That ought to change how we live. Understanding that, understanding that you are in Christ, that you are in a place of peace, that you are in a place of favor with God permanently, securely, never to be left again, that ought to change how you think. In fact, Second Peter chapter 1 tells us that we have been given, listen, all things necessary for life and godliness. We have been given... Because of this relationship that God put us in, in His Son, by faith in His Son, we have been given all things pertaining to life and godliness. I wonder if we actually believe that as Christians. I wonder. I ask myself that sometimes when I look in the mirror and I realize some some sinful thought or something going on. I wonder if I believe that. If we believe that reality, that truth of 2 Peter chapter 1, then why do we run so quickly? Why do we make haste in our lives to human wisdom for answers to our questions? Why is it that we listen first to the secular psychologists about what makes life tick? Why is it do we run to them to explain life's troubles when God's Word has the answer? Why do we allow the voice of the world to speak loudest in our ears rather than God's Word? Why? Why do we think that some problems in the Christian life just can't be solved? You say, well, I don't think like that. Well, we must think like that because that's how we live. Here's why we think like that. Because we live as if God hasn't given us all things pertaining to life and godliness. We think that God has given us that for our spiritual life, but don't deal with my, 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 my actual living life here on this earth. I mean, that's, that's a detached reality. I'll, I'll leave that over here. Somebody else has given wisdom on this, and so I'll follow them, and I, but I won't follow God. 
the same lie that Eve heard in the garden. Here's what Eve heard in the garden. I was reminded of this last week at the conference. Eve, if you'll disobey God, you'll actually be happy. Eve, if you... God just wants to hold back from you what he, His true blessings. If you'll disobey God, that's where real happiness is found. And so you know what we do? We do the same thing. The world says, do this. That goes against the Word of God. We know it goes against the Word of God, but we don't want to do the work to search out the Word of God for the real answers. It's easier to go over this way. And so we go, okay, I'll, I'll disobey God, and that will really bring me happiness in my life. And all it does is produce disaster. God's Word says to us, I will never leave you nor forsake you. I love when God says that because we say that oftentimes, right? I'll never do this or I'll always do that. Those are those, are those words that we shouldn't use. At least when they're speaking about what we're going to do because we, we can't get past next week, let alone the next hour without failing at that. But God can say that. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Never. And yet we live as if he will or as if he already has. Shouldn't that settle the question of eternal security? I will never leave you or forsake you. Shouldn't that have settled it? Shouldn't John chapter 10, the words of Jesus Christ saying, nothing can snatch you out of my Father's hand, shouldn't that have settled the question? You see, if we are eternally secure in our salvation, doesn't that mean that we are eternally secure? And if we are eternally secure, doesn't that mean that when he says, I will never leave you nor forsake you, that he will actually never leave us or forsake us? Doesn't it mean that? Why do we live as if he already has? If the burner isn't hot enough yet, let me get in the kitchen a little more close. Think about how we pray. Think about how we pray. We, we, we pray in this church. We have prayer times in this church. This has truly been convicting to me lately. Think about how we pray, how you pray. Do you pray with assurance do you pray with assurance in other words do you pray with confidence confidence in what God has said confidence in who God is confidence that he is the one who saved you that he is the one who is immutable that he is the one who promised what he promised do you pray like that maybe let me ask it another way do you pray being absolutely certain that you have every right to be praying to God or do you pray wondering if God's even hearing? See, if we are justified, as the Word of God tells us, if God says, having been justified by faith, if we are justified, then we have had our introduction by Christ 
into this grace in which we permanently stand, and therefore we must never again think of ourselves as outsiders. Never. You are not outside, you are now inside. God wants you to come to Him, and He is always intently listening to you. That's what loving fathers do. He is the example, the perfect example of what loving fathers desire for their children. In fact, here's how the writer of Hebrews describes it. We are to come to God. Turn there for a moment. Chapter 4, we are to come to God. Hebrews chapter 4, let this sink into your heart as deeply as God would have it sink this morning. Hebrews chapter 4, beginning in verse 14. Since then, that's, that's like saying therefore, we have a great high priest. The whole thing before that is about Jesus Christ being our high priest, access to God, going before God. Christ is there. He's our high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God. Since that is, let us hold fast our confession. What is that? Our faith in Jesus. Let us hold fast that. Let's not waver in that. Let's not begin to doubt whether there's something insecure in that. It is absolutely secure since we have this great high priest who has gone through the heavens. Let's hold fast that confession because we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. Jesus Christ has endured it all. He's felt it all. Every temptation, every struggle, every trial, every way in which the Satan could attack or wants to attack, Jesus has, has endured all of that, and He's done it all without sin. He knows when we say, but He doesn't know how I feel. Yes, He does. He knows exactly how you feel. In fact, He knows exactly how you feel to the infinite level because He faced it all in a perfect way. He knows how you feel. And since we have a high priest like that, since we are enveloped in that grace, since we are in Christ, and He is our high priest, and He goes there sympathizing with us, He is sympathizing with us in every way, so therefore let us therefore draw near with confidence to the throne of grace. We've had our introduction into this grace in which we stand. In Jesus Christ, we stand in grace. Let's have confidence to go to the throne of grace. Why? So that we might receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. That's confident prayer. That's confident prayer, knowing that God will hear you, that God is concerned about you, that God knows exactly what we're going through, that God wants to delight in answering the prayers of His people. Confidence is boldness. Boldness. We, we come through the doors like you might, like your children might come into your room and they burst in and they flick the light on and they say, here I am, and you lovingly wonder what's going on with them. That's what God is saying to us. 
We boldly come into that place. We have a new condition. It's peace with God. We have a new position. It's that we stand in grace. And so we act upon it. We go to God. We go to Him with confidence and assurance. Why? Because grace is our new permanent position. We stand in it. We can't get out of it. There's no falling from grace. Now surely somebody's going to come up to me and say, well, hold on. Doesn't Galatians chapter 5 and verse 4 say that there were those who who had the potential of falling from grace? Doesn't it have that phrase, Pastor? Yes. But Paul isn't talking about losing salvation in that passage. He's not talking the reality that you have salvation and now you can lose salvation. He's not talking about that. He's speaking to those who are suggesting a different way to be saved. He is talking to those who are suggesting that you could add works. That you start out with faith, but that's not good enough. You could add works to your faith. And he says, if you speak like that, guess what? You've left grace. You've left it. And salvation is all grace. What are you saying? You can't fall from grace. So there's no possibility of a truly saved person to fall from grace. Why? Because they stand in it. And so if you are in grace, you are in. And you will never be outside. It is God who has enabled you to stand. It is God who has given you a standing. And when you walk by faith, when you live according to that trust in the promises of God and, and, and do what God has commanded you to do because you know it's best, even though it contradicts those around you who say go a different way and the world around you who says go a different way, when you walk by faith in the grace in which you stand, you will pray differently. You'll pray differently. And you will be more effective in standing against the flaming arrows of the evil one, as Ephesians 6 calls them. Why? Because the shield of faith extinguishes those darts. You see, Adam and Eve, Eve should have said to the serpent of old in the garden, listen, I've already been blessed beyond anything I could be blessed with by God the Father. I don't need that. God would never hold back from me what He has promised to give me. I'm not going to disobey Him in hopes of getting a blessing. I'm just going to do what He asks because it's all grace to me. Paul says, therefore, having been justified by faith, we have a new condition. We're at peace with God and we have a new position We have full access into the grace in which we stand. And then he says there's a third result of our justification. 
And I'll just list it for you and then we'll get to it next time. He says, we boast. We boast in the hope of our glorification. End of verse 3. And we exult in hope of the glory of God. You'll be hopefully amazed at what God has done by way of that result and the other two that follow. We'll look at those next time. Let's pray together. Father, we're so thankful for what you have accomplished for us. We could never have done any of this on our own. Oh, I know the heart would like to convince us that we have done anything, that it has been part of us. Even the sinful heart wants so much to try to to do something. And yet we know in Christ you have done it all and we could never do anything. We deserve nothing. You have given us everything in Christ if we would believe. Lord, I I know there's got to be those here who have not. Maybe even they're like Judas who, who have walked for a while, even years, thinking, I'm okay. And yet in the end, they will hear those fateful words, away from me, I never knew you. It doesn't matter what we claim, Lord, our life is the reflection of what is true and right in our heart. Lord, may that be genuine in all of us and those here who do not know you, may they come to Christ today. Recognizing their sinfulness, their position before you is one of wrath. Enemy. You, Lord, we trust because of your mercy that you would open their eyes, grant them repentance that they might know true peace. Lord, may these things motivate us to live rightly. Not in a way that says, oh, God doesn't care about my sin because I stand in grace. No, 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 no. But that because we understand we stand in grace, the desire is now even more so by your Spirit motivated to do what is right and honoring to you. Lord, help us reflect that in our life so that you would receive all the glory so that we could boast in our weakness, like Paul said. Thank you for these truths. Cause them to be manifest in us for your glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.